Hello, everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast where we take a personality quiz to see what kind of Totoro we are. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And today, we are talking about the Studio Ghibli film My Neighbor Totoro. Directed by Hayao Miyazaki, the film premiered in April 1988 and is the studio's fourth film. The film follows sisters Satsuki and Mei as the two settle into their new home in rural Japan with their father and encounter friendly woodland spirits near their house, one of whom Mei names Totoro. The film was a commercial success, grossing $41 million on an unknown budget, and has been praised by critics for its characters, music, and animation, with the film's mascot Totoro becoming one of Studio Ghibli's most recognizable characters, both in Japan and across the seas. And as always, there will be spoilers. Alright, so... Continuing on, Michael taking us through the journey of Studio Ghibli films. This one is actually one of the Studio Ghibli films that I don't think I've watched all the way through before um, a couple days ago. I mean, I, like I said in the blurb at the beginning, I knew who Totoro was, I knew of him, I knew the endlessly reproducible meme of him and uh, Satsuki and Mei sitting underneath the the bus stop with the umbrellas. And I do remember watching some clips of Totoro. Maybe it was in the aforementioned Hayao Miyazaki Club in middle school, or it was during those movie marathons where they were playing many different Studio Ghibli movies like all throughout the the night. But wait, I never wait, wait. Have we have we talked about the middle school Hayao Miyazaki club enough times for it to become established enough lore on our podcast that we we've can mentioned just drop it, I, that? It's we've like mentioned every, every time. three times, yeah. We've mentioned it every time we've talked about a Studio Ghibli movie. I guess I just haven't grappled with the fact that we have lore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hope we, we have all, more. all four of us. <laughs> yeah. We, yes, of course. The, Marcus, the singular okay, well, Marcus, Marcus being salty about not going to middle school with us is like that's going to be a running joke for decades. That's why I remember Iris. That's why I remember how many <laughs> yeah, times we've talked about the Hayao Miyazaki <laughs> Club on this podcast. But. If it makes you feel any better, they didn't invite me until like the third time they met. <laughs> Sedge. Anyway, um, I do think that. My Neighbor Totoro didn't have the pull that other uh, Studio Ghibli films had for me. I mean, the other ones were very high fantasy or very, like, fantastical in some way. I'm talking about your Howl's Moving Castles, your Spirited Aways. Um, Even Ponyo was, like, pretty fantastical. Well, My Neighbor Totoro... I got the sense when I was um, watching these Ghibli films um, when I was in like middle school or high school, uh, I got the sense that it wasn't as interesting as the other Miyazaki films, that the fantasy was uh, toned down and it didn't have these like great, great animated moments that Studio Ghibli had because it was just about a family in uh, rural life in the middle of Japan. And 
I still think that is somewhat true of My Neighbor Totoro. It is a lot less fantastical than many of the other Hayao Miyazaki films. There's not a lot of big world-ending stakes or like even really big stakes uh, in the grand scheme of things in this movie. But I do think that is not the point of this movie. This movie is a quiet movie, and it is a movie that is focused on the... It's almost like a snapshot of childhood. Um, I got the sense when we focused on the moments between the two sisters, Satsuki and Mei. And it's a very... Yeah, it's a very quiet film. If It's almost like if you could capture a sunny picnic, almost, into a film. That sort of vibe is what this film is all about. And I really do appreciate what it is saying, The this focus on family life, these family dynamics, moving to a new home, settling into a new life, dealing with personal family problems like a sick parent or um, getting along with your sibling. All of these things, while they're not very big, they are focused on in a depth and a sort of realism that I really like. And so while it may not be as flashy as the other Hayao Miyazaki films, I can definitely see why this film is loved and why people are attached to the the mascot of Totoro. But what about the rest of y'all? What did you all think of this movie? And uh, what are your first experiences with this movie as well? Yeah, I'm feeling a little melancholic. We're almost near the end of our Ghibli journey. Um, there's <laughs> only a, a couple left after this one. Um, so... I guess I'll start off by saying there's a reason that this one is coming so late in the schedule. I've been recommending all the Ghibli stuff, um, with the exception of one, I think. Um, it's because this has always been my least favorite uh, Hayao Miyazaki film. And I think it is mainly because of a lot of the stuff you talked about just now, Alex. Um, it feels a lot less. Uh, there's a lot less going on. There's a lot less conflict, obviously, and the 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 kid the as, as I watched this as a kid in middle school, um, it felt very different from a lot of the other Miyazaki films. Um, I believe that so this is their fourth uh, the fourth Ghibli movie. The ones previously were Ca- Castle Cagliostro, Princess, uh, sorry, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, and Castle in the Sky, mm-hmm. um, and those are all they have big ideas, um, like I mean. Nausicaa for me is still my favorite and it's like that it's like it's like almost you know post-apocalyptic in its portrayal of that stuff um and so this one zooming in like from galaxy level conflict to this tiny bit in like the countryside of of rural Japan it felt very different for me I think that turned me off as I watched this as a kid and so coming back as a 20 something year old adult I guess um, I don't know if my relative opinions on this movie have changed among the other Ghibli films, but I do see what it does now. Um, and I think that for me, at least 
it feels a lot more real when I look at it from the perspective of an adult watching this film and how specifically like the family unit of Satsuki Mei and their father kind of behaves and how it grows in this film. Um, Basically what I'm trying to say is I think I get it. It's still not like I, I it's not in my top five or whatever, but I think now it's more nebulous, whichever I think that it's like, oh, this is the worst, whatever. I you know, those labels <laughs> have very little meaning. Um and so that's where I'm at. I think that I can I have learned to appreciate this film now, I think, which is very interesting. Yeah, I mean my, you know, it's kind of single sentence take on what kind of movie this is. This is a film that is composed entirely of vibes, right? There's no real narrative arcs of any kind to like that you can trace through the entire film, right? There's the whole, a, a series of, you know, little ups and downs, a lot of quiet moments, which, you know, uh, Hayao Miyazaki is very famous for, but, you know, in... through some lenses my neighbor Totoro is more quiet than it is you know anything happening and there's something really beautiful about the way this movie is constructed I had only ever seen it once fully through before although not until I think maybe I was 17 18 or something not exactly sure I don't remember exactly when it was but the very first time that the 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 song the path of the wind played and it's a very famous one right there's the the two famous themes from this movie there's the op- you know the opening and closing themes like dodo do. and um but I'm talking about the other one that's got you know like the chimes and uh, the the very sort of uh very kind of even driving uh tempo to it that I'm not going to try to sing because it would you know not you know do the song justice but the very first time that song started playing and we're seeing, you know, Totoro up in the trees and the wind is rustling the leaves and the fields. And there's uh, the great big view of the night sky behind him. I just felt such a sense of like serenity or something. And I know that sounds like overblown. I know that sounds hyperbolic, but like truly I legitimately think that my shoulders relaxed upon hearing that song. Um, It's, I don't know if I can, like, exactly put into words, like, why the movie works the way it does, but I can do my best, and I I, I think, you know, and we're going to explore that, obviously, as we talk about it, but there is, I think, something really true in the way that it depicts childhood, and, you know, the, the joy, and the fear, and the wonder of being a kid in a big world, you know, and having your own adventures, having your own perspectives, having your own discoveries there. Um, and I think it is brilliant the way that it works to communicate what it does without needing a story structure to it. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I love a well-structured story. It's like my favorite damn thing, but I think it's really powerful that this film doesn't need like a big central conflict or a big central villain or a you know a big central thing to be done. It's just these kids living their life. And it works really damn well. 
Yeah, so um, first time watcher for me, of course. I saw this yesterday, or not yesterday, last week. Um, I was uh, also very surprised at how much I like this movie. I don't, I'm not blaming you for anything, Michael, but you did kind of downplay the, I guess, the quality of this movie a little bit <laughs> when you when you brought it over. You were like, ah, this one's not you know that good and stuff. And uh, I would say, you know. A, at least if you consider what it said, like 11 Ghibli movies, and I think we've seen like 9 or 10 now. Like, I, I would say this is top half, for sure. And I think that's probably a little bit higher than most people would say. But uh, I really like this movie for a couple of the same reasons that uh, Michael and Iris liked it. It's a lot of vibes, very much kind of a, a, a down-to-earth, you know, family-focused. Uh, I really did, I, I like the point you made, Michael, about how, you know, now that we're adults and we kind of have a more mature... I guess, viewpoint on, like, the family and, like, you know, the the single father and, like, the older sister who's very clearly, you know, growing up very fast, kind of cosplaying as the mom in that regard to her younger sister. Like, that was all just... I, I, was, I was just happy to watch it. Like, I don't really have any other way to describe the feeling of just, like, general satisfaction with what I was seeing on the screen. And that kind of, you know, that... that you know, kind of rises a little bit when you see Totoro come on screen and, you know, the whimsy comes through a little bit. But otherwise, it was just a very enjoyable watch from start to finish. And I think, yes, the mu- the music, also quite good uh, in this movie. I would say better than... Or I, I would say kind of more of a highlight in this movie and a couple of other Ghibli movies compared to some other ones. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, there is not... There's no real... As Iris described, like, narrative, you know, progression or anything. But uh, we do get to see, you know, there's maybe a little bit of character growth in there. I love, uh, you know, Satsuki as as just a character and how she conducts herself both as a child and kind of as an adult. uh, Having to care for her her younger sister. I don't know. I just just ate that shit up. Uh, It's just a wonderful, wonderful movie. And I... uh, Really, really enjoyed it. And I guess, yeah, also kind of having difficulty putting uh, my thoughts about this one into words. But when I look back on, like, you know, my... Because for me, watching all these movies was entirely first impressions. I have no benefit of, you know, looking back on the movie as I saw it before. You know, everything comes to me as it's being presented. And some of the Ghibli movies are, you know... Uh, their their scale is grand and the stakes are high and the 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 music is blasting and all, all of these wonderful things are happening and then you have a movie like this one uh, or Porco Rosso which is another one of my favorites where it's just you know kind of much more low stakes you get uh, some great tunes some nice things happening to the characters nothing that you that you have to be you know entirely too sad about and I know Miyazaki's famous for that but uh, I uh, fuck with that shit to put it succinctly as long as we are talking about the music and you know we've mentioned music like so many times when talking about the ghibli films and miyazaki's films we should at least say the name of the composer of so many of these films joe hisaishi is his name uh just very briefly responsible for music from nausicaa castle in the sky my neighbor totoro kiki's delivery service porco rosso princess mononoke spirited away howl's moving castle Ponyo and the Wind Rises. Yeah, Joe, one Joe, dude. Joe Hisaishi is a is a legend. Yeah, Hisaishi, like, okay, yeah, thank you. Hisaishi, yeah, he's a he's like the he's a, the Koji Kondo of anime movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, go. I mean, like absolutely, absolutely fantastic. So yeah, 
maybe I can slip in a little track. Um, less than 10 seconds. Or maybe, maybe a, like a, uh, when I mentioned The Path of the Wind, you could do a little bit of that one because I, I don't want to sing it because I don't think that song translates well to being sung, <laughs> especially not in like a podcast kind of format. <laughs> Tune in. Our next April Fool's episode is just going to be us singing soundtracks singing. <laughs> with her voice alex recreate the iconic code lyoko episode no, no, we have to do it so badly so that we can't get D- dmca <laughs> yeah there we go it's I, think it falls under, I think it falls under fair use anyways um michael says you're the one who brought this film to us this week why don't you start us off with your favorite moment and favorite character in this movie Yes. I'm so glad I'm going to take this one because I feel like y'all would do it as well. But favorite character is Tatsuo Kusakabe. They're That's dead. a dab? Um, they're, they're dead. Because holy shit. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a father character in a movie like Tatsuo. Um, God damn. <laughs> like, I don't know. He's he's like, he's like, he's an amazing father and an amazing person. I it's like like literally every single time that anything happens with him I'm like damn he's a good father like every single time like how he you know talks with his children how he encourages them how he doesn't he literally never denies anything that is going on he's like oh yeah 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 that must be the spirits and I just can't see them and it's 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 brilliant cuz um uh yeah and like the way that he his relationship with their mother is so like endearing and so like close and it's oh my god literally they got a telegram from their mom and he just goes to the hospital um anyway uh yeah uh the dad is yeah awesome. it, he kind of reminds me almost uh that that sort of blending between fantasy and reality that you just mentioned michael kind of reminds me of uh calvin's dad from calvin and Hobbes, where mm. Um, like he'll, we have those like fantastic moments that Calvin and Hobbes have together and then the parents will step in and that's, that sort of, uh, magical realism is thrown into question. Um, but yeah, it's, it's handled so well. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. And I think one of the best parts about the way he never contradicts his kids is that I genuinely can't tell whether he actually believes what he is saying about the spirits or whether he is humoring his small children. You know? Yeah. It's it's that seamless. I think that's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing way to ride the line of, like, encouraging your children and also, like, su- supporting them in their ideas. And in, in, I don't know. It's, it's, it's great. Um Okay, I'm going to move on from that. Otherwise, I'm going to talk about it forever. Uh, <laughs> favorite scene. I guess I'm going to cop out. And I'll I'll, t- I'll talk about Totoro in the umbrella scene. All right. Because, um, yeah, like, it's, it's such a quiet moment. Um, but it's such a funny interaction. It's literally the funniest part of this film. Uh, Totoro literally just appears as they're waiting for their dad at the bus stop. And he's just there, and they're just like, "What? What are you doing here?" And it, the 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 facial expressions that Satsuki and May have on their face, every single frame of that scene are hilarious because they're both in like disbelief and wonder, and I love it because they you know quote unquote do the right thing, right? Satsuki is like, "Here, try the umbrella," 
Um, and it like leads on to this chain of events of them finally, you know, coming in and, and being endeared by the, the, the spirits of this, of this place. Um, but I love, okay, we're going to, we're going to talk about Sanderson. Okay. We're talking, talking about her <laughs> oh, right man. now. I think obligatory, movie, obligatory Sanderson chat. I think this movie is the definition of a soft magic system. Um, because the way that magic, quote unquote, the spirits are used in this movie is not about solving problems. It's about just being wonderful and being weird and being out there because it brings life to the children in that sense. The, the magic is kind of like a reflection of the children. And so when we get that scene of them at the bus stop, adds this sort of fantastical wonder in such a subtle way. They don't have to do a lot with it for it to feel like what just happened. Um, it kind of feels like um, uh, it, it's like they're, they're doing very, they're doing a lot with very little. And honestly, I want to push back on that only for the reason that and this is going to sound pedantic as hell but i think it's an important thing to say i think it is inaccurate to say that the spirits are for anything i don't think this is the kind of story written like that i think the 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 spirits are in the story simply because they are i don't have a, a my actual personal like favorite, oh. favorite i don't want to follow <laughs> myself up like that oh, i don't want right. to i'm done the, yeah. i'm done so please someone take it. Uh, i'll go i'll go i'll go, I'll go. Uh, only because then I can steal the next best character, which is Satsuki, because she's <laughs> she's great. We rarely have the main character as the favorite person. By the well, way. I mean, to be fair though, like is May really the main character of the story? I guess like the action, the you know the the onus of the narrative revolves around her, but she herself doesn't have too much focus besides just being the first one to find Totoro. Yeah, no, but, I, I think Michael was saying, like, Satsuki's the main character. Yeah, I would I would say Satsuki's been the main character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I think we never right. choose the main character because it's just, like, too obvious most of the right. time. We're like, <laughs> we, like can do, about we can do better. Yeah. But oh, there's so not what a whole saying lot of is I, I can't do better. No. <laughs> no, it's Bro. Satsuki's awesome. <laughs> Literally, how did you interpret that from anything I said? <laughs> Um, like we so, we have enough things to argue about on this podcast. You don't need to manufacture more. <laughs> uh, Satsuki's great for a number of the reasons that I already ex- described. She's you know simultaneously filled with the kind of energy and the passion that a child has, while also you know uh, very early on in the movie showing that she is responsible for a lot of the quote unquote adulting things uh, that would normally be under the. Uh, you know what, what a mother would do and you know we learned that the mother is in the hospital recovering from an illness so uh it, it's nice to kind of see that this girl is just kind of taking it upon herself to watch over her little sister and you know clean the floors and you know help get water from the well and help the nanny and all that stuff and like again i was just watching it and i just had a smile on my face because it was just wonderful to watch that's really the only only way i can describe how I feel about Satsuki. And yes, I think that the facial expressions that she has, especially in that Totoro scene, are fucking hilarious. Every single time she's staring at me, <laughs> what the fuck is going on right now? Um, but uh, I think that uh, when the tone of the movie, I guess, gets a little darker, and I only say a little because it doesn't really feel like we're in much danger, but when Mei goes missing and 
uh, Satsuki's kind of leading the charge and trying to find her sister, and uh, uh, she's you know use, uh, taking the help of the boy that I can't remember the name of. Um, Starts with a K, I think, but Kanta, uh, Kanta, Kan, Kanta, yeah, Kanta, something. Kanta, that is, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I, I still don't know which one it was. <laughs> Kanta, Kanta, Kanta. Um, and she's you know uh, pleading to for help, and then when it finally gets to the point where you know there's still no progress, she you know goes to Totoro and is like, "Get me the fucking cat bus. I must find my sister right now." <laughs> <laughs> and Totoro's like, "Say less." So they uh, like that's. <laughs> Wait, can you just dub this movie? I would pay money to listen to you dub the entire film like that. Um, you're dubbing Totoro's line just like who the fuck are you <laughs> I mean he's basically like that who the yeah, fuck like, is when this he, when, he, when, when, when uh, Sasuke like uh, cries and wakes him up and he's like what the fuck is going on <laughs> <laughs> who this bitch <laughs> how did you get in my house um, but and and she you know is simultaneously like blown away by the fact that she's you know riding in this cat that's also a bus but also like Finally feels like she has the ability, like, she, Totoro will get her where the other people were unable to get her. And, like, that's kind of just a fun thing to see her, you know, realize. And she's happy when she finds me. She's happy when they go and, you know, they eavesdrop on their parents. And it turns out, you know, there wasn't anything to be worried about. They just have this kind of, like, oh, well, we worried about it for nothing. So that's cool. But, yeah, I just love it. Um, I think uh, just to make this go quick. Uh, I will say my favorite scene is the scene where she kind of calls Totoro, calls the cat bus to her aid. Um, just because I think that that entire kind of falling action uh, through the resolution of the movie in the last couple of minutes uh, is, you know, maybe the only point in the movie where I felt like I actually had to lean into my chair a little bit and be like, oh, pay attention. The, the, the one narrative thing that's happening in this movie is happening. <laughs> so, uh, but it was, uh, it was a great, you know, a great sequence start to finish. All right. Well, I think I'll go next for my favorite character and moment. Um, I think I've established that I have a soft spot for elderly woman characters in animated media. And so my favorite character has to be a Granny. Uh, I don't think she's ever given a name. I think she's always just called Granny. But there's something about the way she presents herself to Satsuki and Mei and... Um, their family when they first meet her. I think when they talk about finding the soot sprites, we have this nice little moment with the granny where she says like, oh, you can see the soot sprites. I used to be able to see them uh, when I was young. And she's like, be sure to cherish the fact that you can see them. And I thought it was just such a nice way to wrap this concept of these like spirits existing in this boundary between um, nature and and civilization because that's really what this rural village is it's like right on the boundary between i don't want to say like the spirit plane or the spirit world but um of these these spirits inhabiting the forest around around um their home and just the way that Granny always is there to take care of May um, when Sofsky's at school or when her father is at um, his professor job, and how she drops everything to 
go and find May and organize the like search and rescue party when May does go missing. I think there's something to be said about how she is always shown as being this caring figure who will drop everything to like look after the children of this town. I think it's such a nice nice way to portray this sort of motherly um motherly character. As for my favorite scene, I think I'm going to have to say the scene where Satsuki and May wake up in the middle of the night and do the tree summoning dance with Totoro. Because that, I think, is such a great, like, snapshot of this sort of childlike joy and wonder that both of these sisters take and, like, view the world in. Because they just see them just dancing and doing, like, flips with the umbrella, and they ask no questions. They just go out and start summoning the trees themselves. Um, but yeah, I, speaking of soft magic, Michael, I love the the fact that, like, Totoro's, like, straining to push up these sprouts with um, with the umbrella, and they, like, pop up with these little popcorn sounds. Uh, and the end of that scene, when they're all just hanging out on the top of the tree, playing those little um, reed whistles or whatever, and the dad just looks over and he says, like, huh. And he, it's assumed, it's implied that he sees the he sees them on the top of the tree, though who really knows if he is able to see spirits. Maybe only children can see spirits. Um, but yeah, it's that one scene is such a... Such a great snapshot into this this part of childhood that I think uh, until re-watching this movie I almost forgot about the fact that I also took like an inordinate amount of joy in these like really small silly things but yeah I just love that one scene yeah and just to very quickly add on to it I think that it's brilliance about that glance that the father gives that it's intentionally ambiguous whether or not he can or cannot see them because it adds this layer of wonder about like basically i think that it would have been a wrong choice to actually give an answer to that um and that's that's like that's what the soft magic is there for it doesn't give answers um and it's just it's 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 expertly crafted i think i knew it was too optimistic to think that none of you would choose the tree growing scene (laughs) (laughs) well uh, in lieu of frantically starting with a new favorite scene i'll start by talking about my uh favorite character who's obviously gotta be totoro totoro is the main character of the film y'all he's in the title of the movie um i love how weird totoro is i love (laughs) like he's he's like i mentioned the word serene right there's this sort of like this fey otherworldliness to the spirits and their goings on but like totoro himself is just fucking weird and in a cool way right the the way he talks right he does he's got this big huge mouth and big full belly and you know you think he might bellow and he does kind of yell but in sort of like a like a soft yelling sort of way he doesn't uh like the way he speaks uh is is kind of weird his expressions are alternating between like extremely human and just sort of like this inhumanly like like 
like Joker grin, except like not creepy like the Joker. Like I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know how I got these scars. Uh, oh, you you want to know how I became the wind? Oh, no. <laughs> um, he he's just so bizarre, right? Big and fat and uh. uh you know, pendulous, but also like light on his feet. And, you know, the way he like flies around using a top, where the fuck did that come from? What does that mean? I don't get any of him and I love it. It's amazing. Uh, I just, there's such, uh, you said whimsy earlier, uh, Marcus, like such whimsy to, to the nature of the spirits and this, uh, this, this world that Satsuki and May are getting this peek into. And, I just, I, uh, this is such a, 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 a personal take. Like, I'm saying nothing about the construction of the movie and other that, that I really fucking love, like, Totoro's vibe, man. For a movie made of vibes, like, it's, they are, the vibes are immaculate. Um, it's great. And, you know, every time, you know, you think you got a bead on what Totoro is going to do next, of course you're wrong. Of course you're wrong. He's Totoro. As for my favorite scene... Um, it's not, you can see, you can see, you can just hear the, the gears in my brain spinning. <laughs> I was, cause I, I, part of me, you know, wants to say if it's not the, um, the tree growing scene, then it is, you know, sort of the first time we see, uh, Totoro fly up and around to the top of the big camphor tree and, I, you know, I, I guess most of that really boils down to I fucking love that song, that theme, you know, the, the path of the wind. Uh, and I'm not sure that I know how to describe what makes that hit so hard, what makes it hit so good. Uh, but to me, that evokes this feeling of grandeur, right? Like something large and beautiful and un unknowable in the fullness of its complexity, but something that we can appreciate for what little we are privileged enough to see. Uh, there's, there's this sense of sublime sort of just awe, you know, at the, at the, the beauty of, I don't know, nature, the spirits, you know, the literal tree itself. Uh, it, it just, there's a very, there's a very deep cutting emotional idea in in that scene uh yeah i definitely think that it's also sort of melancholic in the way that it is it is like the tune is played it almost makes me feel a little wistful and uh, makes me want to like get up and go out and just like put my Put my hands to the wind. And touch it, grass. And touch grass. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Thank you for the putting it so eloquently, Michael. Want to touch grass. <laughs> I We're hate in, this podcast. In our rooms, f- filming this podcast, we're, we're just going to go out right now and just lie on the ground look at the stars but yeah y'all remember is... like did y'all ever listeners have the days in high school where your teacher would say it's a nice day let's have class outside I'm thinking about that right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it. I feel like as adults right now, that music is almost like looking back at childhood, looking back at like when we were younger. 
I can definitely see that, uh, again, tying in that melancholy feeling, it's almost like wanting to go back to a time when we were free of, we were a lot, we were free of many of the burdens and the considerations that come with living an adult life. Um, and it's so nice that it's here in this movie about childhood and about the joys and the simplicity of childhood that this music ties in perfectly with. Uh, I have a complete non sequitur, but maybe it's like thematic related. We'll see. Um, I was looking up the voice actors, the Japanese voice actors for this film, and I saw that uh, Tatsuo, who's the dad, his voice actor is Shigesato Itoi, which, if you don't know who that is, he was the creator of the Earthbound series. Oh, what? And I was like, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> like, okay, he's also you, a voice actor. I guarantee you there are there are people listening right now who have no idea what any of the things you just said are. <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> damn, damn, damn. calling her out on the spot. Catch a strays. Um yeah, what Sarah that's, do? That's all I got. Wait, don't don't piss off Sarah. Sarah's like, our... <laughs> <laughs> I'm apologizing to her, apologizing that we're in such heavy jargon right now. Sarah, I'm sorry for them. <laughs> to clarify, Earthbound is a very old series. It was on the SNES, I think. It was. It's like a video it's, game. It's series. a thing. It's where Ness and uh, Lucas is from. It's a game, video game. Very influential. So pulling us back from this interesting tangent. I have sort of a, a a question to pose because we've been talking about how this film is sort of this this really incredible distillation of you know all these uh, the these emotional components of childhood right what it feels like to be a kid and to see the world through eyes that can see the spirits can appreciate wonder and you know like like uh, like all this stuff about what it means to be a kid right. And yet we, at the beginning of this episode, we're talking about how we as kids, right, as 12-year-olds, you know, uh, as, you know, kids of Satsuki's age, like, the judgment of this film was it's boring and there's nothing that happens in it and we don't like it and it's worse than all the other ones. And there's such a curious uh, contradiction there. And part of me is wondering, like, is what this movie succeeds at, does it succeed at you know, showing us, you know, capturing the spirit of childhood, or does it succeed at evoking the memory of childhood within an adult audience? Yeah, I think you basically nailed it. I think that this film isn't for kids. It's about kids. Um, in the, and in through the lens of adulthood. Um, I think that like the representations of these characters, namely Totoro and like the cat bus and stuff, they are they're like metaphors um, for childhood and different aspects about it, either the wonder or the whimsy or the, you know, um, the energy and, and stuff like that. Um, and I think that the way that this film metaphorizes childlike uh, the, uh, being a child, childhood, I should say, um, is one, as you said, is one from a perspective of someone whom doesn't experience childhood anymore. Um, I think that for me, the way that I see that in this film is because the 
conflict the old because there's a tiny bit of conflict and it just has to do with um their mother's potential something going wrong with her with her mother um the amount of weight knowing that the children um like the the, the reactions that the that the children have satsuki and may have to learning that their mother won't be able to come to the cabin or wherever they are um this weekend um right they're right, right. They I, live right but she hasn't been there yet um <laughs> uh it it's like a what do i want to say it's it's something that i feel like i can see in myself but only because i'm looking back um like i think that in the moment this kind of experience almost feels like it gets lost like if you've gone camping or you've gotten gone like to the countryside or any kind of rural area for or like a, a a a time of relaxation i think that for a lot of kids that time doesn't feel like there's a lot of things going on and so to a kid it's not necessarily a like a a experience that they are having in the moment but rather it's an experience that is thought on later in life when you look back and you're like oh yes i remember those trips that we took to the lakeside or took camping and unbeknownst to me while it was happening those were formative times of my childhood and i think that that's what this movie is doing is it is it is not about what the kids are experiencing but rather it's about what kids experience when they look back on it yeah i I think you hit the nail on the head on that one there's a when you're a kid and you're you're doing something maybe not even for the first time but uh you know when you're just doing something like going camping or something a lot of what you a lot of the memories that you have when you're younger are, uh, you know, of doing the things that you did and like going out and seeing these things and doing these things and being like, well, that was a fucking bear or like, wow, this fire is hot or stuff like that. Like, but when you look back on those memories, when you're an adult, you think about more about the impact that those things had on you. You don't think about the actual things you did. You think about, oh, like when I was younger, I would go out camping and that gave me a love for nature now that i'm older or stuff like that you you think about these things more in like a retrospective way and i think it's so interesting like i didn't have the benefit of watching this movie when i was younger but i can i can i can feel the exact sentiment of like you know i have younger siblings right a lot of you know not to say that i was like satsuki when i was younger but like a lot of the same kind of things of like caring for your younger siblings and doing the quote-unquote adult things because you're the oldest child uh, you know, hits deep for me. And like, I look back on those, on those, you know, I, I watched this movie and it just, it floods my mind with the memories of me doing those things. And like, again, not me actually doing them. I can barely remember any of that shit, but like, you know, how that influenced my upbringing, how I grew up to be, you know, the person I am today because I did those things. And like that kind of emotional weight, Again, very hard to put in the words, but it has a huge, like, just impact, I think, for both me and everyone else that watched this movie. Yeah, I think there's something powerful about the idea that it's it's hard or it's impossible to appreciate childhood fully for what it is, or to recognize fully, I think is a better way to say it. It's impossible to recognize fully what it means to be a child until you have had the experience of being an adult. 
you know, that when you are a kid, this, the state of childhood is, I mean, if you are so lucky enough to have like what we would consider a childhood, I mean, we're, we're the, the concept of what a childhood is, we're leaning very heavily on in this discussion. And I'm sure there's a whole lot of ontological discussion to be had about like what it means to be a kid, but whatever. But the, you know, for the purposes of what we're talking about here, right? Uh, if you are a kid and all you've ever known is, you know, what we're talking about as a childhood, right, in the very typical way, you know, you you don't know what anything else is like. You know, you can't uh, appreciate, I guess, not that you can't appreciate. I'm not trying to say, like, youth is wasted on the young. I think that's a terrible sentiment. I guess what I'm saying is for, you know, you don't have that context, you know, and there is... I think very inherently in, you know, stories uh, that adults are telling about childhood, right? There is inherently kind of a yearning involved, you know, a longing for the past for like lots of folks, you know, this this uh, sense of, you know, if only we could go back, you know, if only we could do this once again and know how special this is. I don't know, perhaps I'm, I'm, I'm putting a lot of my own perspective onto this take, but... You know, I, 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 I think I'm, I'm fully on the train that, you know, not that this is not a movie for kids, but that the, the primary audience for this is adults looking to, you know, pay homage or reconnect with that sense of childhood. Yeah, I, I think I do subscribe to this take. Um, and you all have spoken a lot about the reasons why uh, this is a movie for adults. And I think I'll just speak a little bit on why maybe this movie did not appeal to us as kids. Maybe it was because of the sort of the the zeit, cultural zeitgeist of kids' movies at the time. But like we said at the beginning, this movie doesn't really have a story or a plot or character arcs or anything similar to other children's movies that um, I was watching as a kid. You know, like even basic movies like Ice Age will have a through line of story and have their characters change by the end of it. Whereas My Neighbor Totoro doesn't have too much of that. Um, it's, like you said, uh, mostly just vibes. And as a kid watching this movie, I can definitely see why why a kid who is used to other movies that have these grand spectacles, these adventures, um, heroes and villains, superheroes, etc., etc., would feel bored in this movie, would not appreciate the subtler story that is being told. Um, I don't know if... <laughs> maybe maybe I can see kids being wowed by the visuals and the music as well. But this, the parts that adults connect with in this movie definitely do outweigh um, the parts that kids connect with. Because all the kids are seeing is another kid on screen acting like kids do and having fun just like they might at a playground um but yeah yeah it's not it's definitely not the target audience yeah and i think a large part of that is just because 
this movie is structured in a very, very different way than most other things. I mean, we've we've alluded to this before, but you know, like like what we said, this movie is mostly vibes. It doesn't have you know any narrative arcs, you know, story arcs, character arcs in the way that we're used to. There are so many sort of just accepted ideas. The way we talk about how a story is constructed, uh. uh that are we kind of take for granted as as or we treat them as being universally true, even though that's not necessarily the case, right? We talk about rising and falling action. We talk about you know the denouement. We talk about uh, you know the protagonist, deuteragonist, tritagonist, antagonist, right? As if it's a given that there needs to be you know the primary actors and then the people against uh, you know acting against our primary characters. And there's a hierarchy of who's the most important, the main character, right? We talk about the hero's journey as sort of this primal er archetype of what a narrative structure can be and i mean even just more generally we talk about stories with the assumption so often we talk about stories with the assumption that everything happens for a concerted reason right that there is a sequence to events there is an order to them that leads up into a final resolution of some grander, you know, uh, uh, a broader idea or conflict. And My Neighbor Totoro doesn't really fit a lot of those assumptions, right? They just do not apply because that's not the kind of story that's being told. And I think especially for, you know, a bunch of 12-year-olds, you know, a bunch of a bunch of kids Satsuki's age, trying to see the beauty and trying to appreciate what, you know, a very different type of storytelling is trying to achieve, right? Something that, you know, we were not familiar with, had never been exposed to in quite this way before, didn't know, uh, you know, like kind of what we're supposed to be drawing from this, evaluating it in the terms that we use to evaluate you know, stories that are of a structure that we're familiar with, you know, it, it just doesn't seem like much of anything happens. You know, I think it's totally possible that there's plenty of people who've seen this movie and they're like, I was fine. It was, you know, had a cool aesthetic, I guess, but, you know, nothing happened. And, you know, I think there's, it's kind of tragic that, you know, there's, there's, uh, a, a, a tendency or a possibility that we are so used to one way of telling a story that we will dismiss others, and in particular dismiss this film. All good points, though I feel like it's kind of almost a disservice to Miyazaki to say that, because Miyazaki's kind of known for doing this kind of movie, not necessarily in the sense that like he hasn't made a movie that has you know, the classical story structure, but, you know, he's made movies like Porco Rosso and stuff like that where there there is no point, quote-unquote. And, like, um, for a lot of people, that is the draw. Like, a lot of people look to that well, that's, and... Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, right? Like, right. This, it's a different way of telling a story, and, you know, for, for, for 12-year-olds who had never experienced that kind of telling a story, we are only familiar with stories that are told in the way that, you know... Like most of the stories we talk about on this podcast, I hesitate to say like a lot of stories like like you know in you know American culture, but like my my point is there's a lot of value in this kind of storytelling, and you know I think it's easy for folks who are not familiar with it to dismiss it out of hand when there really is a lot of value to them. And actually, I think that you brought up a good 
comparison with Porco Rosso because I do agree that it does have an unconventional uh, unconventional story structure. But I do think that for a film like Porco Rosso, Porco Ro- Rosso, there is more on the surface to be latched onto to be able to get yourself into that story. Mainly, it's the for, I mean, for me personally, it's the there's ships and they're shooting each other kind of shit because that's awesome. Planes. Pew, pew. And the, like, it at least to me, in Porco Rosso, I feel like there's more stuff that does happen. Because, you know, he loses his ship. He has to go repair his ship. He has to go fight a bad guy. He learns how to love people at the end. Right? It feels like there's a character arc going on. He changes, literally. Um, this film doesn't do that. Like, to a certain extent, this film, it, like, happens and then it ends. And I think that when as a 12-year-old... That was my main complaint. It felt like it kind of just existed and then it ended. But like, that's like the vibe that it's going for. It's like, that's that's its intent. That like, these things happen and then it's over. And it's, uh, I, I think that that's, that's the thing that is lost on people. At least was lost on me. Sure, sure. I, I, I think that I could also say like, I could throw Ponyo out, and you could also say that, you know, Ponyo has a story because Ponyo herself has... Ponyo has Liam Neeson. Yeah, Ponyo both has (laughs) Liam Neeson and, you know, the main character going through this quote-unquote transformation. And, you know, she's actually quite central to the entirety of the conflict of the story. But I guess what I more mean to convey is that, and I will just straight rip this from Wikipedia... The one one paragraph on Wikipedia about this movie, Totoro, My Neighbor Totoro, says that the main themes are animism, which is kind of like the belief that all things have like a spirit in them. Uh, environmentalism, there's like kind of a Shinto influence in a lot of the imagery and the, you know, the setting of the story. And uh, the desire for rural, like, homestead life, which I think is just... Like of four, like just listing four, con- like four central concepts like that, and building a movie around <laughs> that is just so like. Again, as Iris said, it's such a deviation from the standard, I guess. But I think that you know Ponyo and Porcaroso have similar aspects of that, where their focus, while they do still have traditional storytelling elements, are kind of more on I would say for Porcaroso, the setting, the music, and the the uh the sentiment of love you know what the the importance of love in a story for ponyo it's kind of like the the you know this is a child that's kind of alien learning to be living in a new world essentially those kinds of intangibles feel like something that you know are central to miyazaki and feel like they come through far more you know strongly uh in movies like those two and totoro uh in a way that makes them unique and i I didn't really like Ponyo as much as the other two, but I found myself drawn very strongly to those movies for uh, those reasons. And um, I think, you know, Iris, you, you were right. It is kind of tragic for people to miss that, I guess. Um, but I think it's also like for a lot of people that is just kind of like a difference of what kind of movie you want to watch. You know, what do you want to see when you go and want to you know experience a story for the first time? Uh, and... For me, I really love that shit. For other people, maybe not. Yeah, and as a a final thing, I guess, uh, one of the metrics, right, that we use to evaluate, like, kind of where a story has taken us. Um, you talked, uh, Michael, you were saying uh, 
um, how like this film a a like your complaint when you were a kid was that it just happens and then it just ends, right? And I'm you know I will again like the uh, lampoon myself and point out that I'm always the one who talks about character arcs, right? That's my thing. That's like my favorite deal. And to talk about a character arc, right, is to talk about change. One of the ways that I think we very commonly understand a story that we evaluate what has happened and how it has resolved is we ask ourselves, what has changed between the start of the film and the end? And in a, you know, very literal sense, not much changes for Satsuki and May in the film. They're still living in the same house. Their mom's still in the hospital. Their dad still is, you know, the same great loving guy who probably works too hard and, you know, Satsuki still has to help uh, take care of May and they still live next to the big camp for tree and they're, you know, they're probably gonna, you know, like see Totoro again in like a week or two, you know, living in their house. Like the very literal facts of what their life is like are not different broadly. But... That's not the point of the story, right? That's, you know, the 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 experience of living in their universe is the point. The experience of living in, you know, seeing through their eyes, of going on their, you know, their adventure with them. Even if, you know, because the core component of, like, the hero's journey is that the hero comes back different from before. We don't need that. You know, my daughter doesn't need that. It doesn't care whether or not they're different, because we've gone, you know, we've 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 been experiencing something along the way. The real character arc were the friends we made along the way. I, I hate you. you. <laughs> I mean, I think tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I think we have to end the podcast now. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that'll do it for us, folks. Thank you for listening. This week's video that you can watch on YouTube is, uh, funnily enough, uh, I, I think you can. the full title is a little bit too long, but if you type in May Akira Motorcycle Scene <laughs> by <laughs> Animist, you will reach the intended video 100% of the time. So go check out that stop motion video of May, who is the little sister riding on a tricycle, doing the uh, Akira slide. So go check that out. And next week, Marcus, you are bringing Star Wars Vision Season 2. So you'll join us next week for that. And please email us at bestseatpodcast at gmail.com if you have a show suggestion or just want to talk to us about your own favorite moments and characters. Thank you to Ben from the Real Beast Podcast for our intro and outro theme. And once again, thank you so much for listening. And you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.